Welcome to 050. I'm your host, Bruce Bradley, founder of recycling company First Mile. This is our Green Impact podcast, where we meet guests creating solutions for a zero carbon world. In recent years, there's been a huge amount of focus on people changing their personal choices, such as recycling, eating less meat, cycling, flying less, to help stop climate change. But there's a danger that focusing too much on individual actions can crowd out the emotional energy we have. It can crowd out support for the systemic change. And we really do need systemic change. So how do we harness the power of people, the power of democracy to stop our leaders, in the words of Greta Thunberg, from blah, 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 and to stop our hopes and ambitions drowning in their empty promises? To find out how this might be possible, I am delighted to welcome William Eccles to the show, who is co-director of The Commitment. Welcome to Zero Five O, William. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to have you on the show. So I normally, in my introduction, have a ham-fisted attempt at explaining the guest's business, but The Commitment is so special in terms of what you're doing. I wanted you to explain. So what is The Commitment and what are you aiming to do? Thanks, Bruce. I'm sure you do it at least as well as me. Our aim at the commitment is to speed up government action on the climate and nature and doing this in an engaging, positive way with individual politicians at all levels of government, from council through to the devolved administrations, members of the Scottish Parliament and so on, and MPs, encouraging them to do more and giving them the evidence that their voters want them to. And we do this, the mechanism is asking voters to make a formal commitment to put the health of the planet at the heart of their decision when they vote, and critically to add to that commitment to say why they're doing it, so that we can take their views, their stories directly to the politicians they vote for and show them how much people want them to do more and how they're prepared to put this at the heart of how they think when they're voting. So if I make a commitment on your website, then you have a mechanism for channeling that into my member of parliament is that how that works your member of parliament your mayor if you are in an authority that has a mayor and your council all those levels of government as everyone probably knows have significant power over the climate and nature biodiversity and so we focus on all of them not just on mps Uh, That's very interesting. So it's not a sort of once every four or five years general elections commitment that I'm making. It's sort of more in addition to that, it's at a a local level as well. Yes, every May there are local elections, of course, and um, often they'll come round for you in a different pattern, usually from general elections. So yes, that's absolutely, that's the case. Are people aware of what their democratic power is? Or do people tend to be disengaged around thinking, well, i can vote every five years, but XYZ party's got a massive majority, so there's no point in me voting? Or are we becoming more politically active around the climate? I think it varies across the electorate, but there is, of course, widespread cynicism and disillusionment about politicians, and voter turnout has declined over a long period now, and even voter registration has been declining. So there is a lack of confidence in politicians that is not universal, but it's very widespread. 
but it's very straightforward. Without politicians, we won't get to net zero. And so we need to engage with them, we need to encourage them, and we need to show them how much people care that they do more on, on these issues. On a scale of one to 10, what's the state of British democracy for the planet? In the sense of potential, it's the most important factor. Without government behaving for the planet, so to speak, businesses can't follow beyond a certain point because there isn't then a level playing field competitively. And individuals often want to be steered in a, in a more climate-friendly direction because they want everyone to be, often. And I mean, I was talking the other day to um, a tax advisor, and he flies quite a lot because he's a marathon runner. And, and, um, and he said to me, well, I can't make the commitment because look at me, it'd be really hypocritical. And a lot of people think about this, that unless they're pure in their own actions, whatever that might mean, that they're being hypocritical. And I said, no, it's not about you. It's about the government acting. And the government's actions may affect how much you can fly. And uh, you, know, you may have to pay more or not fly so much, whatever. And he said, oh, well, that's fine. I'm on for it. And he made the commitment immediately, seeing that this was not about him. It was about government action. And of course, we encourage people to do things in their own lives, but that's up to them. It's not our business. Our business is to focus on government. And I think that is really important to get that shift across because the environmental movement has been very quick to get people to change their personal behavior in a way that's really important, but it's almost become an exclusive activity where People think, well, if I pull up the drawbridges and I eat less meat and I grow my own vegetables and I go plastics free, then everything's going to be okay. While those actions are important, in my opinion, I think it's not going to help us get these systemic changes that we need to get towards net zero. And I suppose, are we asking people with the commitment to make one more personal change? And that personal change is to influence local politicians. Yeah, it's exactly that. And um, we need government to do more. We need it to, first of all, to match its actions with its words, and then to escalate both. Government has obviously enormous power to influence our behaviour, the behaviour of businesses, and to take action itself. And, and it's easy to forget that in normal times, state spending has accounted for around 40% of the economy over the last 10 years. So that's 40% they, they directly control. And in the last year with the pandemic, it went up to 52%. Over half of the economy is controlled directly by government. So they are the biggest actor. However you look at it, they're the biggest actor. And by working through local politicians, carefully chosen. So the politicians we focus on are those who are in marginal seats. So they, every vote counts for them. Those who are already enthusiastic about these issues and want things more to happen. And it's easy to forget that politicians are people too. They have children. They care about the future of the planet and, and um, the future of their families. So there are already, of course, many politicians who are enthusiastic for more action. And then the, the, third, the third group are those who are influential by virtue of their position as, for example, ministers or shadow ministers or whatever. And I suppose one of, the, one of the things that we believe very strongly is that in order for people to change what they do, they listen most carefully to the people they respect, the people they know and, and love. And um, in the case of politicians, again, they're no different. Who are they going to listen to? They're going to listen to other politicians. So if you can persuade a small group that this is really now at the center of voters' concerns, then they will take the message to their colleagues. So that's the basis on which we're working with them. 
And are you targeting marginal seats, whether they're mayoral elections, um, May elections, general elections, because you need less commitments to influence politicians, all politicians at that election? Yes, that's the primary reason. And we've, we've done some research with politicians and it's, it's on our website. We've published more or less everything we do. Because of this statement that people make saying why it is they're making the commitment, politicians put a very heavy weight on, on a single commitment. And that weight is some multiple. It varies from politician to politician, but somewhere between six and 10 times is the, is the normal number that we hear from them. So one commitment goes a long way in terms of influencing politicians. And are you going to tell me how to vote if I go on your website, if it's local election time? Would you just say, you know, this is the best way that you need to vote in this way to get the maximum out of your vote for the planet? No, I mean, absolutely not. First of all, we're, we're not aligned with any political party. We're interested in putting the climate and biodiversity up the agenda for all politicians. We're not suggesting in any way that people should change the way they vote. Whoever it is they vote for, they need to be encouraged to do more. So no, and there's no need to change. Um, you're putting your politician on notice that you might change. Uh, no more than that. And it's completely your choice. And so if you make a commitment for, if I make a commitment for Islington North or in the area I live in, will that then go at, for the May elections, the GLA elections to all politicians that are on the ballot card? Yes, your commitment will go oh, to all politicians on the ballot card. That varies. With councils, the candidates aren't announced until very late in the, in the process. So there is a complication with candidates. The other thing is that we are not expecting to do very much ahead of, for example, the next general election in the immediate period before, because we need to have had our impact on, on the politicians sometime ahead when policy is still fluid and they're still considering what to put in their manifestos. We often will only be engaging with the people in position as opposed to the whole range of candidates because it's too late in, in both senses to, to engage with the other candidates. But sometimes we will know who they are and we'll be able to do that. So it's about influencing the manifestos that then people can see and read and understand what they're voting for at the time of placing their vote. Yes. And we think also that if we try to get politicians' attention when everybody else is, that's much more difficult to achieve, and it's too late. And how far down the sort of democratic scale do you go? Are you trying to influence local councillors, or you don't feel like you can influence? I mean, if you take councils as a really good example, they have themselves quite a lot of control over the local economy, so their own spending directly impacts the climate. They have control over planning, which is obviously a big carbon implications and biodiversity implications, and they have control over transport. And I could go on listing them. We don't go below council level because the trade-off between the power that lower levels of government have and the effort that we need to put in to engage with them becomes, we think, unequal at that point. So councils, mayors, devolved assemblies, and, and MPs are the four groups that we look at. And that's interesting on transport because we sort of hear about high speed two and huge amounts of spending on, on big motorway projects and extensions. But if we're looking at sustainable cities or transport plans for different regions, that obviously has a big impact on the environment and influencing people to move to greener modes of transport. All of that's controlled locally. Is that the case? Well, if you take roads, for example, councils have control over all local roads. 
And clearly, that's really an important thing. Similarly, over uh, local, local transport, so bus services, for example, they have control over any low emission zones that they seek to create. So there are big implications for the environment in all of those. So it's important to engage with them. We normally do this bit at the end of the podcast, but I think what you're doing is really important and a really nice way of getting people engaged and thinking about the importance of politics to climate change. How do you make a commitment? Do I need to spend a lot of time preparing to make a commitment? And how do I actually make a commitment? Well, the first thing you do is you maybe Google us. The commitment.uk is is actually our address, but uh, we'll come top or very nearly top when you Google us. There's a button which you'll see on more or less every page suggesting that you make your commitment. In doing so, you fill in a fairly simple form. The the only things we absolutely have to have from you are your name, your email, your postcode, no, no more than your postcode, and both the commitment itself and then this statement of why. We do ask for more information because more demographic information is really valuable when we're engaging politicians, but that's completely optional. There is no need to prepare at great length for doing it. This will come straight from your heart and really quickly. Some people write six words and they're so powerful, that's as good as 60. So it's, it's up to you. You can spend, and people do, spend a long time writing something of great. We have poems, for example. We have videos. Some people put a lot of time into it, but there's no need to. It will come straight from your heart. And talking of things coming straight from the heart, Greta Thunberg had a, a lot, and I referenced her now famous quote of blah, blah, blah in my introduction. Do you think she's right? You're taking on the political establishment. Do you think it is all blah, blah, blah? Or do you think we are heading in the right direction post COP26? Well, I suppose if you look back, and many people would say, including COP26, there is great force, obviously, behind Greta's words. Looking forward, Without politicians, we simply won't get to net zero. So we have no choice but to engage them and turn blah, blah, blah into action. So William, you're taking on the political establishment and it feels like um, in a really clever way that actually getting the people to understand their democratic power or their democratic currency. How on earth did you get into this arena and why did you choose this as a way of doing your bit to get us to net zero? How did you get where you are today? I was nowhere near this this sector for a long time. And I was in the commercial world. I, I was an investor in UK, small and medium-sized UK businesses. Nothing could be more different. And then I took a, a short sabbatical in 2008. And I reflected on what new and different thing I might do to make some small positive contribution to people. And I came across Al Gore, James Lovelock, NASA, fantastic website, as well as lots of other things. And I realized that without a planet, it's so obvious, isn't it? Without a planet, we don't have anything else. We don't have economy, education, health, whatever, culture, all the things that we love. And identified very obviously, again, the climate and biodiversity were the two biggest existential threats we faced. I looked at the climate and I could see enormous forces being bearing on it. And I couldn't see what I could possibly do there, little me. But on biodiversity, there were lots of small and medium-sized organizations and around the world. And I could see that there maybe I could make a contribution. Incidentally, I, uh, the commitment, and um, I've, I've referred to it several times, is focusing on both the climate and nature. I know this is a net zero show, but I should confess this honestly to you. 
Because I, I firmly believe that even if the climate weren't a problem, we're cruising towards disaster by what we're doing to nature. So we've linked the two because they are in conflict unless you do sometimes. And so I did. I worked for 10 years in biodiversity in various ways. And then 10 years later, I gave myself 2018 an appraisal. <laughs> and only myself. I didn't dare ask anyone else. And my appraisal was quite good on biodiversity. I thought I probably hadn't done any harm and maybe a little bit of good. In climate change, I gave myself atrocious marks for poor judgment because, of course, climate got a lot worse in, those, in that decade. And this was exactly the time that Extinction Rebellion appeared on the scene. I happened to be there right at the beginning, almost by coincidence, strolling through Parliament Square, the only person there in a suit. <laughs> and they encouraged me to keep my suit on because they needed more people with suits. <laughs> and so I became a rebel and I blocked roads and, you know, did that in a very minor way, joined in. And then it got me thinking what Extinction Rebellion were doing was exactly right in terms of the issues that they focused on, the climate and ecological emergency. And I, I love the approach and the awareness raising that was obviously happening. But we needed something else. Uh, we needed something within the system that took the view that the system might not be great, but we had nothing else that we could change it in time. We couldn't change it in time. And that a lot of people obviously don't sympathize with Extinction Rebellion. And so out of that came the idea for the commitment. And here we are, three years later. Amazing. I love the idea of giving yourself a, uh, an appraisal and um, look forward to getting you back on the show in seven years' time for the appraisal again. What would Extinction Rebellion think of the commitment? Well, Extinction Rebellion is a wonderful, colourful organisation and it, it um, embraces a very wide spectrum of opinion. Some people would say this can't work because the system needs to change. And so we, we need to work on that first. Others would say, well, this is another thing we can do. And um, why not? You know, good on you. Have, um, here's my commitment. Do what you will with it. And those are the responses that typically I get. It definitely can't do any harm to raise awareness. What does success look like for the commitment? It looks like more being done at all the levels of government that we've described as a result of our engagement with politicians. And we will be one contributor. We're, we're one influence on politicians. And it will be impossible to say, oh, well, the commitment resulted in this piece of legislation or whatever. But we need to have made a contribution to that. And on the other side, and this is increasingly something we're aware of, we will have given committers some hope and greater motivation, empowering them feeling that, that they feel empowered through making the commitment and voting for the planet. And already we're seeing that this encourages some people to do more in their own lives and perhaps joining other environmental organisations and so on. So there's a, a second and really important impact that we can have on committers themselves. And that, I think, is going to be really important too. And what do you think is the biggest barrier to getting to a point where you get this sort of sea change that's driven by the commitment? I think the biggest barrier, uh, the, well, anyway, the first one that comes to mind is not having enough commitments to influence the politicians. And I would urge everyone on this podcast to stop listening to us for a bit. <laughs> We're not that interesting. And go straight right now to the website and make their commitment. And then if they've done that, which would be wonderful, to go to their to the people they're closest to and stand over them while they also make the commitment. And I emphasize this immediacy because we've come across a really interesting behavioral issue. Many people who I know are really, they've said, really enthusiastic about this. And they've said, of course, I'm going to make the commitment. 
but then they haven't. So the immediacy is, is very helpful. So please, everyone, stop listening to us right now. Go and make the commitment and then come back and we'll, we'll be pleased to hear you coming back. And that's to the commitment.uk. That's right. That's right. So um, that's a barrier. We're pretty confident we can get over that one. Another one is resource. I mean, we you could argue that what we're trying to do is create awareness of a national brand almost. And if you look at the resources behind most national brands, they are very substantial financially and in terms of human resource. That is, the, I think, the other, the other major challenge for us. It's to establish a national brand with quite a lot less resource than people normally have. And are politicians getting it? Are they going to get it? Do you think we're going to have a new political party focused on biodiversity, climate change, these existential issues? Or do you think politicians themselves will feel they're going to be extinct if they don't change? Our whole way of thinking is, is that politicians get things that their voters have got. And on the whole, politicians understand now that voters are really, really concerned about the environment. What they're not yet convinced about is that they're voting on the basis of it. That people have come to understand that the foundation under, under all those issues they normally put high, high in their minds, education, the economy, all of those are based on the foundation of a, of a stable and healthy environment. So they have to come, environment has to come first. And politicians simply need to be shown that their voters are, are, are thinking that way, and then they've got it. And many have got it already, but more need to. What's coming up that you're most excited about? Have we got elections in six months' time in May? Are, there, are you ready for those, or are you already working on influencing the manifestos for those? What, what's the excitement coming up? I mean, I can't resist giving you an internal answer to that, and then I'll scrape around for an external one. Internally, it is seeing more and more people making the commitment. The commitments arrive in our system, and we have what I call column U. And in column U, which is a completely optional column field, is a feedback box. And we ask people what they think of the commitment. And whenever I'm feeling sort of slightly low, I go to column U. I was looking at it this morning, and I mean, just a couple I, I saw this morning. One person said, I think it is wonderful and uplifting, and I'm proud to be a part of it. And another, which was really good that they'd sort of picked up the culture of best way of influencing politicians is not to beat them up. It's to encourage them and congratulate them when they do more. This person simply said positive in a time of uncertainty. And I could go on, but that's column U. And um, that's a reason really to look forward to commitments coming in. And so my external reason is, yes, there are elections next May, as there are each May. But as I say, we're engaging them now or very shortly. We'll go quiet as, as the uh, elections actually approach. Yeah. So no, no better time now to make your commitment. Make a commitment for Christmas. Yeah, that would be very, very helpful if you would. We're meant to be net zero by 2050. And I, staying on the positive side of uh, positivity... Net zero 2050, you'll be looking back, you'll be a much wiser, older self by then. What advice would you give yourself looking back into 2021? Well, this is a really complex world with so many subtle interactions and thinking, behavior, emotion. So I think I would say to myself, do less and think and reflect more. I think I'd say that. And then as a replenishing thing, I think I'd say, recognize the good stuff more. We still have a beautiful world and here it is. Be in it more. Excellent. I love that. Go and enjoy nature. Some help for the listeners there, William. Are you listening to any 
cool podcast you'd like to recommend? I think maybe less less interesting, well, I hope, than um, my podcast is very similar to the end of my last answer, which is listening instead to nature. So getting out there, listening to birdsong, streams running water, leaves rustling in the wind, be there to be replenished and avoid being over-anxious or burning out, which I think is a risk probably for every single person listening to this podcast. Give yourself a break. Get out into nature. Excellent. Switch off the podcast again. You're, you're not helping my uh, listenership here, William. You keep telling everyone to leave, leave the podcast and do something else. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. I mean, you should listen to Bruce's podcast assiduously. But... I, I'd be much happier if people went to listen to nature and they'd get a lot more from it, I think, than my podcast. So looking slightly wider than the commitment, which is, as we both know, and I suspect a lot of people uh, listen to this podcast, your work or your job or your business that you run is sort of becomes all encompassing. But when you when you look outside of the commitment, what are the, the businesses or the organizations that you see that are exciting in the world of protecting biodiversity, nature and getting us to net zero? What else is going on out there that you see? In terms of businesses, I mean, obviously, government would come top in a sense, but it's not just one organization. But in terms of businesses, I have an answer that might sound a bit strange. I think the most exciting green businesses are the major fossil fuel companies. They have the greatest power to address climate change and, incidentally, biodiversity loss by reason of their scale in carbon terms and economic terms, however you look at it. And they've been cynical in the past, knowing, as we have all come to be aware, about climate change long before most people did and hiding it. The pressure on them that they now feel is fully justified and should increase because so far they haven't gone beyond transparent greenwashing. I mean, extraordinary how naive they've been. But no one likes to be unpopular and it has real and immediate consequences. So, for example, I was speaking to someone at Shell not long ago, and he said they're finding it almost impossible to recruit talent. Well, is that surprising? And imagine the dent that that puts in, in a business of that kind of scale. And so if they really embrace this challenge, they can make as big a difference as anyone. They're almost as big as governments, but they are single organizations with a single leader. Have you got any advice for the CEOs of Shell, BP? Exxon, I mean, these big oil companies, what should they do? It's a mammoth task. I think they have to take it into their hearts first. They're very good at staying in their heads and just quietly go into a corner and read the summary or do of the latest IPCC report. There are so many things they could read, but that would be one. And they tend to be scientists. And this is written, obviously, by an enormous, amazing group of scientists. Take it into their hearts and really think about what they can do. Be creative. Apply the talent that they've still got. Believe it first. Really believe it as a threat to them and everyone. And it's totally irrelevant whether an individual business flourishes in the short term or fails if there's nothing left after that. Yeah. I think I know the answer to this one, but I'm going to uh, ask the question anyway, because it could be another plug. If you could ask people to do just one thing to help tackle climate change and biodiversity, what would it be? Well, you know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the answer is make the commitment and just as important, spread the word and stand over people so they make it too. Excellent. I, I'm loving the standing over element here. Unapologetic about that. It's fantastic. We have a little thing here called the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame, and I ask my guests to leave one thing 
person. We've had crowds, people, quotes left in it. It's becoming a wonderful place to hang out. What would you leave in the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame? Well, it's quite big, and it might get the, the, the prize for scale. The thing I'd put in First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame is the sun. With its extraordinary beauty, its power, the sort of raging sphere of light and heat that makes life possible and which we've made our greatest threat. Excellent. I think everyone else is going to be feeling pretty warm now in the... uh... (laughs) I am liking that a lot. Thank you very much for the contribution. William, it's been absolutely fantastic having you as a guest. I think the commitment is an amazing organization, what you're doing and being positive and steering our politicians into a way so they understand how their people are feeling. It's been fantastic having you on the podcast. Thank you very much. And one last time, how do people find you and how do they make a commitment? Simply Google us and you'll find us very fast. Perfect. Great having you on the show, William. Thank you. Thanks, Bruce. I'm Bruce Bratley, and you've been listening to Zero Five O, where we meet remarkable people creating solutions for a zero carbon world. Keep listening to all episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zero Five O.